All right, we are back. I do want to note a fine piece of reporting by Sam McManus and the B. And no, we're not on the B's payroll. They just do some good work there, and we're reporting on it today. Sam talked about doing some hiking in Sonol, which shamed me because I realized that even though I grew up right next to that area of Sonol and Niles Canyon, I have not done much hiking in it, well, at least since I was a boy. And back then when I was hiking in it, they didn't have the kind of trails they apparently do now. And I mentioned this as a prelude to talking about uh, movies being made in Northern California because I think unbeknownst to Sam McManus, but hopefully uh, he'll be alerted from this program, not far from where he was hiking was to no small degree the birthplace of the cinematic Western. 100 years ago, last year, back in 1912, Bronco Billy Anderson, as he would soon be known, his real name was Max Aronson, but he renamed himself as Gilbert M. Anderson, representing one half of SNA Studios. He was the A. SNA started making one and two reeler westerns, first in Colorado, subsequently in the Santa Barbara area, but Gilbert Anderson came west to the San Francisco Bay Area to find a great spot to shoot westerns, and that spot turned out to be Niles Canyon and the Sonol area east of Fremont. They shot something like 300 uh, pictures there, and along the way, Anderson had the good, uh, good fortune of hiring an aspiring young comedian. He was working for Max Sennett, he of the Keystone Cops fame, Keystone Studios. They hired this guy away from Keystone and put him to work at SNA, where he was given more artistic freedom to develop his style. The guy's name was Charlie Chaplin, and in fact, The Tramp was filmed in Niles Canyon. Later this month, the Niles SNA Silent Film Museum will be doing a, uh, a festival, a tribute to Bronco Billy's silent movies. And we plan to be there. We also hope to interview David Keene, film historian who's been on this program in the past, to talk about his excellent book on Bronco Billy. Gilbert Anderson is not famous today, even though he did get a special Oscar back in 1958 for his pioneering work. But uh, without a doubt, if you've ever seen a Western movie or TV program, which you surely have, dear listener, you would have to note that they were tremendously shaped by this man. We'll have more to say about that a couple weeks from now when we speak again to David Keene. All right, we're joining us now from down under, a land of wonder, the, the beautiful uh, continent of Australia, is our Australian correspondent, Pamela Taylor. Welcome back to Radio Parallax, Pamela. Thank you for having me back, Doug. It's kind of funny. We're talking to you. You're walking to work on a winter day down in Australia. I am. And we're sweltering on a summer afternoon here in California. Technology's amazing. <laughs> Well, um, I, first thing I want to ask, you guys had an annular eclipse. It passed right near you. Did you happen to catch any of that or know anybody that did? I know heaps of people that did. Unfortunately, where I was, I did not. It was very cloudy where I was. But I've been told by my, several of my friends who uh, went out of their way to see it that it was beautiful. Not quite as good as the total eclipse because we were really spoiled here in November. Yes. But it was still worth getting up for, yes. Well, for our listeners, I would second the motion. There was an annular that we got uh, last June here in Northern California up in Redding. 
And yeah, it's not as spectacular as as a total, but having that ring of sun is still pretty cool. And uh, and we recommend people still travel to see those. Oh, definitely. Our Cairns Astronomy Club connected with an astronomy club in France, and one of their members actually came over especially for it. So fortunately, he was able to see it clearly and got some great pictures to show me. Outstanding. We'll have to send those to us, but maybe we can put them on our website. That'd be great. Definitely. Now, uh, we're having, we just had a, a, a triple conjunction, Mercury, Venus, and Jupiter low in our sky. Did you guys catch that down there as well? We went out to have a look at it. It was actually clear, but no, I couldn't, uh, we couldn't really see it clearly from where I was, unfortunately. Perhaps a little bit south it would have been more viewable. Could you see it where you were? Yeah, we, it was, uh, all three of them were lined up uh, last week. It looked kind of cool uh, seeing three planets like that. Uh, doesn't happen that often, and... Uh, but when, they make a big deal about it when it does happen, so I guess we should tell people they should they should go out and see that too. Oh yes, definitely. <laughs> if you look at uh, Cairns Astronomy Club on uh, Facebook, you can actually we'll, I keep up with all not just Cairns Astronomy, that's just the name of it, obviously. But I put all of the worldwide astronomy stuff that I uh, know about that's going on on there. If people want to keep up with it there. Good deal. How about uh, how about those occultations? For a few months ago, uh, Jupiter was uh, disappearing behind the moon, but unfortunately. You couldn't see it where we were because the 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 breadth oh, the breadth. Oh, I did. <laughs> Tell me about it. Oh, it was beautiful. It was fabulous. It was a you know, I had everyone out on the street in in the early evening, and I was just you know, one of those crazy people in the street yelling at people. I'm going, look, look, that's Jupiter, that's Jupiter. <laughs> but it was great. I got some kids excited, and their parents were going, "How do you know that?" And I said, "Oh, I run the Kings Astronomy Club," and they're going, "Wow, that's really cool." So some people thought I was a crazy maniac. Um, but other people came and joined me and, and looked at it and went, wow, I looked at Jupiter today. Outstanding. You know, I can't, Pamela, I actually can't say I've ever seen one of these. I've only seen a star go behind the moon. But I guess if you, if you get a chance to see those, uh, the, the planets like Jupiter with its moons or Saturn with its rings disappear, it, uh, it's quite a contrast to lunar craters, etc. Oh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I don't know how more people aren't you know, so excited like these. I mean, maybe we're just super nerds, Doug, but I find it exciting. Well, I do too, and I think a lot of our listeners do as well. So we're going to continue to plug such events uh, shamelessly. <laughs> so, Pamela, there, you, we were talking before about coming back on the show, talking about some news I hadn't heard much about. Someone found some coins down there that uh, that apparently made them think that maybe some people got to Australia before uh, before Captain Cook uh, oh, and others. Yes. Everyone was here before Captain Cook. He was the last person here, I think. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, so in uh, near Darwin... Where there was a uh, an army base in 1944, a soldier actually found these coins and thought they were cool, and stuck them in a drawer. And I, I'm, I've read several reports. I'm not really clear on how they came about out of the drawer recently, but a few months ago they made their way from the soldier's drawer to Professor Ian McIntosh, who's actually an Australian scientist. Okay. But he's working in the U.S. At the, at the moment, and he got really excited because he dated them. And they're a thousand years old. So there's a, he's found other coins in that area from 900 to 1300 years ago. Yeah, and they've found that they're actually coins that have originated from Tanzania, but they were used uh, with trade with a lot of Indians. And there was a story a few months back with you where Indians actually were here in Australia 4,000 years ago. Wow. If they were here 1,000 years ago and 4,000 years ago, 
makes it look like there's been a lot of Indians in Australia for thousands of years. Well, is there any other evidence besides the coins? I mean, of course, coins, I suppose you could always, coins could have showed up later. I mean, the fact that they're that old doesn't mean that uh, they were newly minted when they, were, when they arrived. Uh, is there any other evidence to support this? Oh, that's true. Well, they're actually going back to the site, so the, so the soldier's actually still alive. Oh. And he's put an X, yes, so he's put an X on the map for people to, where he found them. So he obviously still has, you know, great memory. And they're going back to excavate. So they'll actually be, this story will follow on from here. And there should be more evidence. But it's still pretty exciting. I mean, coins is, is not a primitive uh, race, obviously, you know. They're trading. There's, there was globalization happening, obviously, back then. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Well, that well, we'll have to continue to follow that story. Keep us keep us surprised of any developments there. All right. Well, I have to love you and leave you and head off to chain myself to a desk. All right. Thank you very much for having me back. Do good work, Pamela. We'll cut. We'll touch base later in the summer or your winter, as the case All may right. be. My winter. All right. <laughs> Take care. Okay. Bye bye. All right. We got a few minutes left. We want to note and follow up to our chat about. Uh, that Liberace TV movie last week, which had us uncharacteristically commenting on something that's on TV. We did note a very amusing piece by our favorite blogger. In fact, probably the only blogger we quote from regularly, if you don't count Borowitz. That would be Mark Evanier, whose uh, website, News From Me, is always entertaining and an example of how, if you're going to be a blogger, you should do it. But to quote from something that Mark wrote on May 25th, Liberace is hot again, thanks to that new HBO movie, which, if he were not already dead, would have killed him. Never did a man go to such lengths to look and act gay on stage, but become so outraged and litigious when anyone suggests that he might be anything less straight than Duke Wayne off stage. Said Mark, this feels like a good time to tell my Liberace story, and yes, I have one. I was never in the same room with the man, not even with him on stage and me in the audience, but we did have a phone conversation I will never forget. Let me take you back to that day. It was sometime around 1979, I was in the office of a TV producer, and it's relevant to the story, this producer was gay. Or maybe I should say, very obviously gay. If one believed the gossip, he was also very prolific in his gayness. I was talking to the producer, and for some reason he mentioned Liberace being a good friend of his. I told him I'd always found Liberace interesting, and someday after he was gone, someone would make a great biopic about the guy. Now, I didn't have this whole Scott Thorsten relationship in mind because it was not then public knowledge, nor were the details of any of his relationships. I was thinking of his rise to fame and all the struggles, and I added, and of course, they have to tell the story about Liberace and the cleaning fluid. Producer said, what about Liberace and the cleaning fluid? I said, you're a friend of his, you don't know about the cleaning fluid? He knew nothing about it. So I told him about his friend, Liberace, and the cleaning fluid. The day JFK was murdered, Liberace was playing a hotel in Pennsylvania. Like most of America, he was shocked, grief-stricken, and depressed. He decided to cancel the show for that evening, so he informed his staff, including his dresser, and they went all off the drink or checked the news or whatever people did that day. But the hotel owner threatened a lawsuit if there was no performance that evening. So Liberace agreed to go on and tried to round up his staff. He found everyone but the dresser, who, alas, had the only key to wherever they were storing his outfits. So there was no fresh, sparkly outfit for the star to wear on stage for the command performance. There was, however, the outfit he'd worn the previous night, though there were a few stains on it. No problem, Liberace thought. He went out and bought a big bottle of dry cleaning fluid, took it back to his hotel, and cleaned the stains off. Then, tired, he decided to lie down and take a nap. 
The open bottle of dry cleaning fluid and the just clean garments were on the table by the bed. As he slept, he inhaled their fumes and pretty much destroyed his kidneys. An hour or two later, he woke up deathly ill. An ambulance was called. Soon he was in the emergency room where doctors declared he was a goner. He was given the last rites and told to get his affairs in order, which he did over the next day or two by ordering expensive gifts for all of his friends and effectively giving away much of his fortune. The press reported Liberace was near death, but didn't get much attention. It was, after all, the day Kennedy was killed. So the story of Liberace's near-certain death ran in, like, page G9 when it ran at all. But, of course, he didn't die. He defied the doctor's predictions and eventually walked out of the hospital and back to even greater stardom. Noted Evanier that his story, and I think a few lawsuits, had much to do with the fact that such chemicals now carry warning labels and are handled with much more care. So I finished telling the story, and the producer was astonished that it happened and that he'd never heard about it from his good friend. On impulse, he shouted to his secretary, Give me Liberace on the phone! Which still strikes me as just about the most show-busy thing anyone ever said in my presence. Moments later, his secretary buzzed to announce Liberace in line two. Producer picked up and said, Lee? They chatted briefly, and he said, I'm sitting here with a wonderful young man named Mark Evanier who's writing the show that we're doing now. He's a tremendous fan of yours. You might call him an expert on your career. Now, that was all a tremendous exaggeration. He just told me the most amazing story about you and some cleaning fluid. Liberace was astonished and impressed. The producer put the call on speakerphone in time for me to hear, barely reported by anyone. I can't believe your young man knows about that. He then proceeded to tell the whole story, and it was very melodramatic. He was just finishing it as the producer was called out of the office. He told Liberace, Lee, I have to duck out for a moment to put out a fire. Here, I'll let you talk to Mark directly. Then he switched off the speakerphone. I picked up the call. Liberace said to me, I'm so impressed you knew about the cleaning fluid. I guess you're a real fan of mine. I wasn't really, but I said, well, you sure got a lot of them, which was true. I was never particularly among their order, but I didn't mention that part. Tell me, he said, do you ever get to Las Vegas? I live there, you know. I I play 40 weeks a year at Caesars Palace. I told him I was in Vegas every few months. Well, next time you know you're coming, you must come to see my show. I'll arrange for you to be comped and get a seat in the front row, my personal guest. That would be very nice, I said. Oh, and you absolutely must come backstage so I can meet you in person. You sound like a very nice young man, and if you're working for our friend, you must be a superb writer. Well, you didn't have to be Tolstoy to work for this producer. You didn't, you didn't have to be Jacqueline Suzanne. But I said, thanks. And of course, I'd be honored to meet you after the show. Great. I'll give you my assistant's number. And when you're going to be in town, you call and we'll set it up. And you know, if you're a fan of mine, I ought to have you out at the house. You can see my collection of pianos, my jewelry, my cars. I just bought one of the rarest models of Rolls Royces in the world. It was all sounding like it would consume more of life than I wanted to devote to Liberace. In fact, the call may have already exceeded that limit. But I said, sounds fascinating. He asked me where I stayed in Vegas, and I told him, usually at the frontier. Oh, that place is such a dump, he moaned. Listen, why don't you just stay with me? You'll have plenty of time to get to know me, and we could take a jacuzzi together. And I I didn't hear what came next because the thought suddenly blasted its way into my brain. It went something like this. Liberace is hitting on me. Maybe I should have realized it sooner, but, but I'd never had a man hit on me. In 1979, I never even had a woman hit on me. And I'm not sure I'd ever heard of anyone of any sexual preference seriously hit on anyone without seeing them. Though I suppose it happens. 
Obviously, the fact that the very gay producer had introduced me and introduced me as a wonderful young man, coupled with my alleged interest in Liberace, had led Mr. Candelabra to an erroneous assumption or two. As I got my attention back to the conversation, I heard him mentioning something about massages and playing a private concert just for me. I decided this had to end quickly, so I said, Mr. Liberace, this all sounds wonderful. Lee, call me Lee, please. All my friends do. Okay, Lee, well, this all sounds wonderful. Would it be all right if I brought my girlfriend along? You're what? My girlfriend. Oh, you'll like her. You ever work with Spike Jones? Um, yes. Well, she's his niece. She's an actress. She's on The Young and the Restless. Is it okay if I bring her along? Liberace said, yeah, sure. Well, call my assistant and, oh, I'm sorry, I have to run. My other line is ringing. And he hung up without giving me the assistant's name or number. Not that I would have needed that information. About then, the producer walked back in and caught me chuckling. He asked, did he uh, invite you for a jacuzzi? I nodded yes. And he added, I would have gone just to see if he wears the sequins into the tub. All right, that about does it for time. And I do want to note that although I do not have my own Liberace story, except that I can remember as a very small child watching that black and white TV program, I do feel, and I I say this without tongue-in-cheek, I do feel that in some small degree, Liberace has had an influence on this program. The reason I say that with a straight face, and Mr. Merlin, you can verify that I do have a straight face. I suppose so. (laughs) The reason I can say this is that as a small boy watching Liberace on television, he had this habit of looking right at the camera, winking, and talking to you, the studio audience. This was not something I'd ever seen done before. And I dare say it did make an impression on me. And I do honestly think in some small degree that as I speak into this microphone now, that there is just that little bit of influence of a guy looking right at the camera and talking directly to his audience. That's all I'm going to say on that. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. Our thanks to our Australian correspondent, Pamela Taylor, and we expect to have her back on a few months from now. I expect to uh, trot off to Hawaii between now and the time I speak to you next, and hopefully we'll have some good stories to share when I'm back. We'll see you then.